0: Today on The Journey. It's time to get serious about Christian life. It's time to step it up. It's time to start living out what we profess. It's time to live worthy of the name
1: of Christ. Tough faith. It changed the world in the first century and it's changing the world now. The question is, is that kind of faith yours? Well, in this half hour, Ron Moore shares an introduction to such a faith so that you can be a partaker. Listen and let your faith be toughened for good. Also, after the message, I'll let you know about Ron's challenging publication called Faith, Dead or Alive. It offers a vital examination of genuine faith. Faith, Dead or Alive is available as a digital download for a gift of any amount at ronmoore.org. Your donation today will help further this ministry of developing followers of Jesus Christ. Now here's Ron with the message, Faith That Works, on the journey.
0: We're going to launch a study of the book of James. I want to tell you that the book of James is a hard-hitting, in-your-face, no-nonsense instruction. James has one goal in mind as he writes his book. He wants the readers to develop as followers of Jesus Christ. His desire is that Christians live as Christians should live, worthy of the name they profess. He'll settle for nothing less. So let's get started. Today I want to do three things. I want to introduce you to this man, James. I want to see who the recipients of the letter are what significance that is, and then we want to give an overview of the book. We want to see where we're headed. We'll work out the details later, but today, a big picture. So let's start with determining who this man, James, is. In the New Testament, there are four James mentioned. One is James, the son of Zebedee. He's one of the 12 disciples. He is a brother of John, And because of their impulsiveness, Jesus calls them, if you remember, the sons of thunder. But it couldn't have been James the Apostle who wrote this book, because James was the first apostle martyred. He was martyred in 44 AD, about a year or so, at least a year before this book was written, around 45 to 48 AD. So it wasn't James the Apostle. There are two other James that are kind of obscure. One of them is James, the son of Alphas. Again, he's an apostle, but we know so little about him, he would not have had the authority or the influence to write the words in this book. There's another one. We read his name in Luke chapter six sixteen, and we only see him as Judas, the son of James. And it's only there as a distinction to distinguish him between Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Christ. So it's not those three, James. There's one more. The most likely candidate is James, who is the brother of Jesus or the half brother of Jesus. He's the one credited for writing this book. Turn with me to Mark chapter six. And there we are first introduced to this man named James. Chapter six, verse one. Jesus left there and he went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? They asked And, and what's this wisdom that he has been given and, and that, he, that he even does miracles? Isn't this that carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? Isn't this the brother of James. Joseph, Judas, and Simon, aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. This is the first time we see James' name mentioned. And he is the brother of Jesus by the listing here, probably in the closest age to our Lord. Now, the significance of that is that James knew Jesus well. He grew up with him. No doubt, they were with Joseph in the workshop, learning the art of carpentry together. They labored together. They built together. They sweat together. Told stories, learned the Old Testament, just like any brothers would do. The writer of this book is a man who experienced life with Jesus Christ. Now his disciples did that too, but only for three years, here's a man who grew up with Jesus at work and at play. In Acts chapter 1 verse 14, he is there at the beginning of the church. And it's not long before this man, James, becomes a recognized leader of the church in Jerusalem. After Paul was converted, Paul spent three years in preparation, and then he says in Galatians chapter 1 verse 18, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. In Acts chapter 12, when Peter has been released from prison, he says, make certain James knows I've been released. And in Acts chapter 15, when the church is brand new, when the Jewish Christians are saying, if you really want to become a Christian, you have to be circumcised. And the Gentiles were saying, no, I don't think that's the case. It's by faith. When they were going through difficult transitions, it was James who spoke with authority, who used the word of God, the council of Jerusalem, and Acts 15 and says, no, we're not going to make it any harder for the Gentiles than it should be. And they listened to him. He was a leader, a recognized leader in the church. One more passage, turn to Acts chapter 21. When Paul returns from his last missionary journey, He goes to Jerusalem and notice who he wants to report to. Luke writes, When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James and all the elders were present and Paul greeted them and he reported in detail what God was doing among the Gentiles through his ministry. You see, due to his gifts, and due to his character and due to his strong personality, due to his godliness and his calling, he was a recognized leader in the church, specifically the church in Jerusalem. Now I want to make a point here. Sometimes, in Christianity, we say, if you really want to be a first-class Christian, you have to be a missionary. You have to go overseas. We learn from James that that's not the case. We learn from James that God calls people to certain places. Paul and Barnabas, they were going on missionary journeys. James said, I'm staying here in Jerusalem. That's where God has called me. It's fantastic what Paul's doing. We'll be praying for him and we want to hear the reports. It's great what Barnabas is doing. We're going to be praying for him. We'll support him. We want to hear the reports, but God's called me here. That's encouraging to me. It's encouraging to you. Wherever you are as a growing Christian, God has called you there. From James, we learn that sometimes God says, stay here. But when you stay here, don't live a second-rate Christian life. Live a first-rate Christian life. Another thing we need to know about James is he knew the Word of God well, inside and out. Although there are only five direct quotations from the Old Testament in his book, the Old Testament atmosphere dominates this book. In fact, there are references to passages in 21 Old Testament books. He knew the Old Testament well. James knew the word of God. It's also interesting, James knew the words of Christ. There are 13 times in his book when he references the Sermon on the Mount. And I find that very interesting. Matthew had not been written yet. So James didn't go on his library shelf, pull out Matthew and reference it as he was writing his letter. He either was there at the Sermon on the Mount, heard the words of Christ. He either knew them well as they had been passed down through oral tradition, or I find this fascinating. Could it have been that the Sermon on the Mount was a sermon that Jesus preached, but James maybe heard those same words in the carpenter's shop could it have been James refers back to these words of Jesus Christ his lord and savior James also knew what it meant to die for Christ scripture doesn't tell us but church history says that James was martyred in 62 AD and church history tells us particularly from fox's book of martyrs that the Jewish leaders knew that James had great influence. And they said, James, here's what we want you to do. We want you to go to the very top of the temple and so everyone can see you and everyone can hear you. We want you to tell the people who are listening that Jesus is not the Messiah. We want you to tell them that he's not the Christ. Tell them not to follow him. So James said, well, I'll do half of it. So he went up to the top of the temple But he said, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one you need to follow. He is who he said he was. And church history says they threw him from the top of the temple. He didn't die by hitting the ground. He was still alive. And then he was beaten to death and died there on the spot in 62 AD. So here's James. He's a brother of Christ. Christian leader in the early church, a leader who is taking the church through some difficult transitions, theological transitions, practical transitions, community transitions. James was a man that God called to be a strong leader and a godly man in the church. Now, James is writing, he says, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, So James is writing to Jewish Christians, the 12 tribes, scattered. He's not writing specifically to any one church, but to many churches that would be made up of Jewish Christians. There was persecution, not the intense persecution under Nero that's going to happen just after James dies in about 64 AD. But there was already persecution in the church. We read about it in Acts And the believers scattered. James didn't. Remember, he stayed there. God had called him to stay. But a lot of the believers scattered, and a lot of believers that time were Jewish Christians. And as they scattered, think about it. If you had to go home today and leave your home, not knowing where you were going, you would pile in your car, for these people, just their backs and maybe some animals, just what you could take. So as they left, these people were very poor. They left their jobs and most of their possessions scattered among the nations. And because of that, two things happen: Some of them were oppressed by wealthy people and some of them were impressed by wealthy people. So James is going to address both of those issues right on. Wealthy people don't oppress the poor, but poor people don't be impressed with wealth because there's something so much more important regarding that. He also gets the word that some of these Jewish Christians aren't acting like Christians at all. They're going through these trials. They're experiencing all kinds of temptations, not doing it well. They're not acting like Christians. They're not living out what they professed. They had a problem with their tongue. Divisions were coming in the church. They had problems with conflicts and they weren't handling them well. Some of them were more committed to follow the ways of the world than the ways of Christ. In other words, not much has changed. Anyone here ever tempted to follow the way of the world and then the way of Christ? I'll raise my hand. Anyone here ever have a problem with their tongue? My hand's still up. Anyone here ever had a conflict with someone else that you didn't quite handle well? A little higher. And James is going to deal not with the symptoms, but with the source. He says, you know what it boils down to? Spiritual maturity. And it's time to grow up. And it's time to make sure your faith is producing fruit. Okay, in the remaining time then, let me give a quick overview of this book. Again, we're going to take time to deal with these issues as we go through them. But let's just get a big picture in our mind about what James is all about. James, a strong leader, writing to these Jewish Christians. Here's what he has to say. First of all, he says, rejoice, rejoice. In testing. As a Christian, there may be things that come into your life that are going to be difficult. That's inevitable. That is going to happen. Write it down. But James says, How are you going to respond to it? And he says, What you need to do is respond with joy. And he goes on to say, and we'll study this: that you consider it pure joy because you know that God is at work in your life, God has your attention. And he's going to develop in you a faith that is strong and that will persevere. Trials are when we learn, when we pray, when we seek God's face. We don't invite trials, but during them, there's a deep, settled peace in our hearts to know that God is going to use this. It's not a mistake. It didn't happen by chance. God is going to use this to grow me into the man and woman he wants me to be. A second thing We learn understand and resist temptation. As a Christian, we're going to be tempted. But James says you need to understand that temptation is not coming from God. Look at verse 14 of chapter 1. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. So when you're tempted, don't blame it on God. Look right in your own heart. It comes from within. So understand what temptation is and then deal with it. Number three. And here's what James hits on all the way through. Do what the Word of God says to do. Look at verse 22. Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. James likened the man who disobeys as a person who goes in front of the mirror, looks at themselves, looks at their clothes, checks themselves out, and walks away, and a split second later, they forgot what they look like. And so when some of us don't like what God's Word says, we decide, well, I don't want to mess with this any longer. I'm putting it down. James says, you've got to do what the Word of God says. You have to see yourself clearly in the mirror. And when you look at the pages of scripture, it's like looking in a mirror. It's like looking at your heart. Sometimes I don't like what I see. So I got to deal with it. Do what the word says. And that's going to be a theme of this book. Hear the word, put it into practice. Here's another one. James doesn't like favoritism. And he says, watch for the golden ring syndrome. The golden ring syndrome is when for whatever reason you cater to another person. James says, don't do that. Look at chapter two, verse one. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. We're gonna learn through James that fruitless faith is worthless. Faith that is healthy and faith that is alive produces fruit. But fruitless faith... It's worthless. Fruitless faith is probably no faith at all. Look at chapter two, verse 26. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. James says, watch your tongue. James has much to say about the power and the potency of words. James says this in chapter three, verse six tongue also is like a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. The negatives and poison that can come from our tongue is from the depths of hell. Verse 9, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with that same tongue we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing, my brothers, this should not be. We'll talk about the tongue. Another thing that James deals with, don't mistake knowledge for wisdom. And he's going to tell us about what is worldly wisdom and what is godly wisdom. Pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. There are a lot of people who are very smart, but very foolish. There are a lot of people who are very intellectual, but stupid. You can be smart, but be very unwise. And James is going to tell us the difference. And we need to be those who are wise. Deal with the source of conflict, James is going to tell us. As soon as you ask a person what the problem is, they say it's him. It's her. James says, you know what? It's not him or her, it's you. Look at chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? you want something, but you don't get it. And that's what causes conflicts among us. We'll deal with that as we go through this book. Submit yourselves to God is another thing that James deals with. And here we'll learn about true repentance. And we'll learn that in the midst of our greatest failure, chapter four, verse six, but he gives more grace. That's why scripture says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Another thing we're gonna see is, James gonna tell us in chapter five, be careful with money because money is powerful. Be careful with the power of money and be careful with position. And particularly, he is going to speak to Christian employers. And he's gonna say, you better treat your employees well because you're gonna be held accountable for that. You don't abuse people by power of money. You don't abuse people by power of position. James gonna talk to us next about being patient in suffering. And here we'll learn that James all along is teaching us that it's not about the here and now. It's about an eternal perspective. He says in chapter five, verse eight, Be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. In the eternal perspective, either you're going to be with the Lord very soon or he's going to come and get you. So be patient in these little sufferings you're going through now. They seem pretty big and they may be pretty big, but in the light of eternity, you can hang on. You can be patient in suffering. And then James at the end of his book is gonna talk to us about a passion of his heart and that is prayer. Look at verse 16 in chapter five. Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. In Fox's book of Martyrs, it says this of James. He would enter into the temple alone, fall on his knees and ask remission for the people. Doing this so often, that his knees lost their sense of feeling and became hardened like the knees of a camel. Church history says that James was nicknamed not only James the Just because of his uprightness, but James the Camel Knees because he had hard knees. Now that was probably just a figure of speech, but you get the point. He was a man who fell on his knees until they lost their feeling, according to Fox's Book of Martyrs. James is gonna tell us, it's time to get serious about Christian life. It's time to step it up. It's time to start living out what we profess. It's time to be public Christians in every sense of the word. It's time to live worthy of the name of Christ.
1: And please stay with us. Ron returns in a few moments with a look at our next time together. How do you know when your faith or that of a friend or loved one is a living faith? Is it proved by a walk down a church aisle, praying a salvation prayer or attending catechism classes? Or is there other evidence that must be displayed? That question is asked and answered in Ron Moore's PDF booklet titled Faith, Dead or Alive. In Faith, Dead or Alive, Ron outlines the characteristics of genuine belief and how you can perceive their presence animating your life. It's the most important waypoint on the spiritual journey. Faith, dead or alive, is yours as a digital download for a gift of any amount at ronmoore.org. Again, that web address is ronmoore.org. Your donation today will help keep the journey on the air, developing followers of Jesus Christ. Now here's Ron with a preview of our next broadcast.
0: Of all questions, why is the most searching and the most tormenting? Today we're going to begin a look at the book of James, chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. And James is not going to answer the why. You're going to have to live with that. But James will answer the how. How we can live with that and how we can respond the way God is asking us to respond. Today, we're going to see the characteristics of a trial. We're going to determine how we should respond to it. And then we're going to see how God uses trials in our life. First thing we want to learn from this passage is the characteristics of trials. I don't have to tell you what trials are like. You have lived through them. Some unexpected event that comes into our lives and literally knocks the
1: props out from underneath us. We hope you can join us for that message next time. And please remember to order your copy of Ron Moore's PDF booklet, Faith, Dead or Alive. It's a vital checkup on your spiritual health. Faith, Dead or Alive is available for a donation of any amount. You can get it online at ronmoore.org. Again, that web address is ronmoore.org. Also for our Pittsburgh area listeners, the real conversation continues at the Bible Chapel with real talk, Conversations from Corinth. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, we'll discover what God has to say about leadership, sex, life, victory, and connection. This is a series you won't want to miss. The Bible Chapel has campuses across the greater Pittsburgh area. Visit BibleChapel.org for a location near you. Again, that address is BibleChapel.org. And if the journey has brightened your day and deepened your walk with Christ, won't you tell your friends and family about our program? Finally, please keep in mind that the journey relies on your generous donations to remain on the air, developing followers of Jesus Christ. Your gift today will be deeply appreciated. Thanks for listening, and we invite you to join Ron next time as we walk together on the journey.